podcast, home to stories that haunt. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence or explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. died at 10 a.m. on a Sunday. She knew this because when she found herself standing on the ice, the ice her mom had cautioned her not to venture out onto, looking down through the misty frozen crust at her own blue-tinged, panic-contorted face, the clock in the tower of the church was striking 10. Cal didn't know what to do, so she just stood there looking down at her own frozen self. She reviewed her choices. Marcus Denby, who was Cal's big brother Max's friend, had dared her to. Well, not exactly. Marcus had said she wouldn't. Couldn't. Was too much of a scaredy cat and a big baby to cross the frozen pond. She was too girly. How can you be too girly when you are a girl, Cal had wondered. Marcus hadn't actually dared Cal, but he made it so Cal couldn't not go. So she did go. Out onto the ice. And when she was right in the middle, right near the spout of the fountain which was switched off by the city every year between November 1st and March 1st, Very suddenly, the ice had cracked beneath her, and she'd fallen through it. Cal was a good swimmer. She had all her badges at school swimming club and had won the fastest girl ribbon at the end-of-term gala because she'd come first in all her heats and her races. But this water was different. She'd slipped in so suddenly, at a funny angle, and when she fought back to the surface there wasn't one. Just the ice. Sharp and cutting against her face and fingertips, holding her under. She had tried to swim back to find where she'd slipped in. From where she stood now, she could see she'd gone about 12 feet in the wrong direction. After a few moments, the burning, air-starved hiccups of her diaphragm had won and she'd heaved a big breath of icy water in. It was so cold in her mouth it made her teeth hurt and her head throb. But in her chest, it was a white, hot fire of pain. An inferno. Then... She was on the surface looking down. Her face, under there, looked like it was still hurting. But up in the light and air, Cal couldn't feel a thing. Far away on the bank, Marcus Denby was bawling like a lost calf, pointing and jumping up and down. Cal could see adults nearby turning to look. That was nice in a way, Cal thought. He could have just snuck off home, pretended not to see. Just then, a figure in black sort of seeped into view besides Cal. Cal looked up at it. 
It was about two feet taller than Dad, which made it eight feet tall. It wasn't wearing anything so much as being it. It was being a long, black, hooded cloak. Where the face should have been, there was a gray, swirling fog, which on and off looked like the suggestion of facial features. But as Cal watched, it never stopped swirling long enough to settle into an actual face. The thing raised a hand, which was also made of the swirling gray and held up a long stick very thin and silver it flashed in the frosty sunlight as the thing raised it are you death cal asked the figure paused tilted its head area at cal as if trying to understand and then turned away from her it plunged the long stick through the ice into cal's blue face and took the other end into the fog where a mouth could have been It was a straw, Cal realized. Are you... She tried again. Are you death? Are you sucking my soul out? Hey, I'm here! Hey! She stepped forward and reached out, but her hand passed through the arm of the figure as if it was made of cloud. Oh! The hooded thing lisped from its undefined mouth in a hushed, wheedling voice. Just a sip. That's all I want. Just a sip. Please. Cal watched on as the hooded thing leaned over again and sucked and sucked on the silver straw. Cal heard sirens and looking up saw a fire engine driving in actually into the park across the frozen grass. Marcus was still wailing on the bank, but now a gaggle of grown-ups stood around him. One lady had her arm around his shoulders. Cal would tell everyone on Monday how a big boy of nearly 13 was crying in the park. She looked back at her face, staring up through half-open eyes under the ice. Maybe not. Look, what's actually happening? Cal had another go. She tried to touch the hooded person again, but her hand passed through it again. There was no sensation at all. No sudden chill nor gritty cloud. Nothing. It was as if the thing wasn't there at all. Or Cal wasn't. Suddenly there was a commotion and two more things, small bright things, were there. They dived into the hooded thing, jumped and swung and screamed. Piss off! Yeah, leave it be! They seemed to be able to touch it, and it began to churn as their limbs thrashed inside of it. Not just the face, but all of it. Finally, the head turned back towards Cal, and the face formed, horrifying, skeletal and demonic and full of wrath. Two coal black eyes glittered. Two rows of pointy, evil-looking teeth formed, and from between them, it hissed viciously at Cal. And then it dispersed and was gone. Oh. Cal had something like the memory of the sensation of her heart pounding. But when she paid attention to it, it wasn't there. Because her heart had stopped. 
Oh, you're already here. Well, don't speak to them, the taller of the new figures said. They're not friends, the other added. They were kids. One looked about Cal's age. She thought it was a boy, but it was hard to tell because it had quite long hair and its outfit was wild. Dark blue jeans with a super high waistband and really tight thighs, but really baggy hems. There was a word for them. An old-fashioned name, but Cal couldn't remember it. It was also wearing a brown and orange jumper made of what looked like beach towel. The other one was more normal-looking and was definitely a girl. She looked a bit younger than Cal, maybe seven? She was wearing pink and yellow My Little Pony pajamas and one bunny slipper. You've only got one slipper, Cal observed. The other child looked down at her feet, flexing her bony bare toes on the ice, then said, I lost one outside in a garden. Mummy was angry. I'm Jimmy, the other one said, thrusting a hand at Cal. Cal almost laughed at this oddly adult gesture, but seeing the earnest expression on Jimmy's face, she didn't. Instead, reaching out towards it. To her relief, she could touch this boy, and they shook hands. I'm Cal, she said. Then she looked down under the ice. Was? You can still be Cal, the little girl said. I'm Sally. I'm dead, aren't I? Cal asked. The others nodded solemnly. Cal frowned. My mom is going to be so mad about this. The three of them stood together and watched as two firemen in a small boat made slow, laborious progress towards them. The one at the back was punting them along with a long, orange pole. The one at the front was smashing the ice in front of them with a little axe so they could keep moving. Far away on the bank, a bigger group of other firemen was joined by four or five police officers in their shiny, puffy jackets. An ambulance was winding its way across the grass, too, now. What, what was the other thing? Cal remembered then. I thought it was death come to take me away. Death? Sally said around her thumb, which she was sucking. She means dispersers, Jimmy told Sally. No. He turned back to Cal. That was just a sipper. A sipper? They'll get here soon. Then you'll be going. Jimmy nodded at the fireman. Going to heaven? Sally giggled. To the hospital, Jimmy said, then looking at the face under the ice. Or the morgue. On my own? Cal had that same odd feeling again of disembodied panic. The absence of a twisting stomach. The fading echo of a racing heart. I can come. Jimmy puffed his chest out proudly. I'm found. Found? Sally's not found, so she has to stay here. Jimmy added, as if this explained it. Not found. Cal echoed helplessly, but Sally saw her confusion. Jimmy fell through, like you, and they found him and fished him out. But they didn't found me. I didn't fall through. My mummy was mad about the slipper. Too mad, really. She got mad a lot, but that time she was extra very angry at she put me in. After the mad. But they didn't found me in. 
didn't find you yet. Jimmy corrected. Cal thought this was the saddest thing she'd ever heard. But Sally seemed quite matter-of-fact about it. You're Sally Cooper. Cal suddenly remembered the name. You were on the news. Missing Sally Cooper. Your mom said your dad came and took you away, but that was years ago. Did she? Sally interrupted, her eyes round with wonder. I don't know why she said that. Because she put me here. Over there. She pointed a thin arm across the pond towards the end, where all the rushes grew thick and tangled. She looked thoughtful then. Did my daddy take baby Archie away too? Because she did get mad at him a lot as well. They found your hole, Jimmy interrupted. Won't be long now. The fireman had indeed reached the hole where Cal had fallen through. One of them spread his huge limbs in the boat to steady it so the other could stand. The standing one scanned the ice until he was staring right at them, then pointed and began saying lots of words into his walkie-talkie. They cremated me. Cut me loose so I can go anywhere, Jimmy went on proudly. I can come with you. What about Sally? Cal felt a pang of regret at the idea of leaving her. She'll be here, Jimmy said, when you come back. We can come back? Cal was surprised. Don't we go to... go to heaven or somewhere? Jimmy just laughed at this again, but he didn't reply. The firemen were smashing the ice a few feet away. One kept leaning in and reaching under, trying to get a hold of Cal. When they were almost close enough, one of the things, the sippers, appeared again. Cal watched as the long silver straw was extended and placed into the rowing fireman's face. Suddenly the fireman sneezed violently three times in a row, rocking the little boat. Jimmy and Sally launched themselves at this one too, dancing and waving and shouting. Again the sipper began to swirl and eventually hissed and vanished. What are they? This one's face had been even worse. Cal felt she'd pee her pants with the fear of it, but of course there was none. No pee. No pants. I told you. Sippers. Jimmy rolled his eyes. Hey, look. He pointed. They've got you. Cal watched as the fireman dragged her by one ankle out from under the ice. She was somewhere between limp and stiff. All her visible skin was a pale bluish color and looked like wax. Her eyes and mouth hung half open. One fireman leaned back to counterbalance and the other heaved her out of the water and dropped her unceremoniously into the bottom of the boat. The first raised his arms then, waving to those on the shore. At that, the distant group picked up a rope, which Cal saw now was tied to the front of the boat and pulling together, they heaved it rapidly back towards the shore. Bye, Cal. Sally removed her thumb from her mouth to wave. Bye? Cal began to ask. But she felt it then. She was going. It was the strangest sensation. Cal looked down and saw she was moving, but not walking. Not hovering, either, sort of dragging, scraping silently across the ice towards where her body was now on the ground, being 
roughly manipulated by a group of paramedics in bright high-vis coats. She threw her hands out instinctively, but realized as she did it that she had no sense of her own balance, nor of losing it. Oh, she pipped, overcome by the unfamiliarity of it. Yeah, it is a bit weird, but you get used to it. Jimmy drifted along beside her, nonchalant. You can only get about 10, 15 feet away at first, but it gets better as you go. Sally, he jerked his head back over his shoulder, is up to about 100 now. On the shore, Cal watched as a person with a green vest over his high-vis, medic written across the back in big white letters, yanked her head back and stuck a curved metal torch and then a clear plastic tube down her throat. She looked completely dead. The others hooked up a big sort of balloon and took turns squeezing it as they strapped her onto a board and threw the board into an ambulance. Cal lost track of Jimmy. She had to close her eyes during the ambulance ride. She had begun inside, watching two women hook up her body to a dozen machines and take turns pumping on her chest. Cal heard dull popping as they pumped. Something inside her body had shifted, but the waxy dead look never changed. Each time they paused, a long, wavy ribbon wove its way across the screen of the machine. They both stared at it. A systole, one would say, and they'd begin the pumping again. Somehow, though, Cal couldn't stay inside the ambulance. She tried, but she couldn't touch any of the things she grabbed at. At first, she slid only by inches, finding herself closer and closer to the rear doors. But when they hit the bypass, she slipped completely outside the vehicle. She reached the limit of the tether that held her to the flesh she had recently inhabited, and then then was pulled along as she had been across the ice, being dragged at 90 miles an hour down a motorway in the open air, cars and trucks left and right, sirens screaming, was terrifying. Cal found to her surprise that she could curl into the fetal position, and she did. Eyes screwed shot hands over her ears, screaming in terror. After a long time, several minutes of hearing her own continuous scream, Cal realized she hadn't paused to gasp another breath. Hadn't needed to. She stopped screaming and tried to breathe. It was like breathing underwater in a dream. When you know in your dreaming mind that you are taking water into your lungs, but you can't feel it, nothing happens. Cal focused on moving her chest wall, but she couldn't bring air into herself. The strangeness of it was not comforting, and Cal wrapped her arms around her head and went back to her scream. By the time they were pulling up at a hospital, Cal had recovered somewhat. It's hard to remain in a state of abject terror for very long. She watched the paramedics run her off the ambulance and through the double doors. She was towed down a shiny-floored corridor into a room with recess on the door. Inside, a whole new team of people were there, running around her body with bags of liquids and trays of needles and machines on wheeled trolleys. The paramedic droned on, reading from the back of her rubber glove. 
Compressions throughout, but no shockable rhythm. BP unrecordable. GCS3, parrots were being informed by police and should be on their way. All clear? Yes, thanks folks. We'll take it from here. Someone seemed to be in charge. A tall man with blonde hair and red cheeks. He stepped forward. He looked about 14. Cal saw as he picked a pen up to sign something that his hand was trembling. What's cracking? Jimmy had appeared beside her. And Cal was so pleased to see him, she almost reached out to grab his hand. I don't know, she replied. But as she said it, the team around her body began CPR again, and she cringed and added, My ribs, I think. Well, Jimmy shrugged. It's not as if you're using them. Cal was about to offer a retort to this when another hooded thing, another sipper, drifted through the wall and pulled its long straw out. It drove the end of it through the top of the spine of the nearest nurse who paused the insertion of a massive IV shunt into Cal's dead wrist and shuddered. Someone walk over your grave? The nurse behind her asked and she nodded, then bent back over the wrist. Jimmy exploded at the sipper rushing into the center of it and whirling until, like a mini-cyclone, it began to whirl with him. It hissed in rage and vanished with a soft snap. What are they? Cal asked again. Sippers. They're like us, only old, Jimmy said. Like, very old. How can you be older than dead? You'll see. Jimmy looked across at Cal's body being manipulated around. Maybe. But when you die, you're like us. And sooner or later, a disperser will come and see if you want to be dispersed. Dispersed? Cal interrupted, suddenly afraid. Dispersed. Then you stop being you. Then you won't be Cal. You'll go back to being the energy you were made from before you were Cal. Does it hurt? Cal whispered. Hurt? Jimmy laughed. What's to hurt? All the hurt is over there. He pointed at her body. I mean, I've not done it, but I've seen it happen. The last thing you see when someone's being dispersed is this big, happy smile. Anyway, Jimmy emphasized this, admonishing her. That's not a sipper. A sipper is like us. But they said no to the disperser and stuck around. Right. Cal thought about this a bit. But then, why aren't you a sipper? Well, I have a reason, Jimmy said. I'm stopping accidents in the ice. Oh. Cal couldn't hide the disdain in her voice. Well, trying to, Jimmy said reproachfully. I was shouting at you before you fell. You you just didn't listen. The sippers? Uh, yeah. Well, the thing is, if you don't have a reason, or if it's been so long you forgot your reason, you still do disperse, but not in a lovely, smiley flash, but like, slowly, a bit at a time. And the only way to stop yourself is to steal a bit. Cal suddenly realized it had gone abruptly quiet in the room. The team were stood in silence, looking at the wavy line on the machine. Still assistily. The boy-faced doctor was saying nervously, Shall I call it? The other staff exchanged looks, more solemn, more doubtful. Okay. Time of death, 
the door flew open and a tiny woman marched through it. What's happening, folks? What have we got? She asked, pulling on gloves and looking around. Her dark eyes flashed with intelligence as they scanned each monitor. Her serene face was framed by a hijab the same blue as her scrubs. Pete's crash call. A hypothermic drowning. Dr. Babyface began. But I was just about to call it. A systole still. We've shocked three times already and nothing. What's the core temp? Um... The young doctor scanned the other staff and one spoke up. 80.5. No, 80.6, she said. Right, well... The tiny lady doctor rubbed her gloved hands together. Let's warm her up a bit more and see if we can get a pulse back then. Continue compressions. Yes, consultant. The junior doctor looked relieved but crestfallen, and seeing this, she nudged him playfully. Don't feel bad, she said. I've almost done the same myself. You'll virtually never get a pulse from a frozen heart. But remember, with these cases, you're not dead until you're warm and dead. But I think I am dead, Cal said. But they didn't hear her. Hey, come look at this. Jimmy was calling over his shoulder from where he was stood with his face thrust through the wall into the next room. Cal went to where he was and was about to say, How? When he grabbed her arm and pulled her through. For a second, she thought she could taste brick dust. Then she was looking into another room. It was like the one her body lay in, and a similar buzz of activity was taking place. Look, Jimmy pointed out. In the corner, Cal could see a... A being. It was person-shaped, about the shape and size of an adult human, either a slightly small man or a moderately tall woman, but it had no discernible features, no face. It was made of light, a pale golden light, like the light of dawn right before the sun comes over the horizon. It was beautiful. It was as if someone had torn a person-shaped hole right through into eternity. It was the brightest thing Cal had ever seen. But it wasn't hard to look at, and it didn't hurt her eyes. As she watched, it moved towards the bed where an elderly woman was standing, watching the activity around the body lying on it. Can you believe this? She called out towards Jimmy and Cal. I have a DNR! The doctor, as if she'd heard, stepped back and held up a hand then. Called a time of death. Huh, I should think so. The old woman sniffed. The being made of light arrived in front of her now, and she looked at where its face would be. It lifted its hands as if in offering, and the old lady nodded enthusiastically. The offering hands came together then in a single, silent clap. The old woman smiled an ecstatic smile and began to glow. Then she shattered into a million tiny dancing pinpoints of light, which began to deepen into the light of sunset as it absorbed them. It blazed deeper golden, then orange, then crimson, and then it faded away and was gone. Cal was completely dumbstruck. That was a disperser, Jimmy said. Wow, Cal whispered. That looked 
I mean, that seems... Don't you fancy it? Nah. Jimmy shook his head. Can't leave yet. Not till Sally's found. The mom is here? Someone was saying behind them. Cal was both eager and terrified to see her mother and stepped back through the wall with her hands over her face. But she needn't have worried. That's great. Put her in the family room while we see what's what, the tiny consultant was saying. Cal's body had been stripped naked and was now piled high with a thing that looked like an inflatable duvet. They were still puffing air into her with a balloon and taking turns pumping on her chest. The line on the machine whenever they paused remained wavy. Everyone okay? The consultant was asking. Hard work, these ones. Everyone nodded, and the chest pumper stepped aside so the tiny woman could step up and take a turn herself. Here, take my hand. Jimmy offered his. Cal thought it was a bit weird, but she took it. At once, they began to float up, up towards the ceiling. Oh! Cal squeaked, but Jimmy held her hand tighter. Shh, just let it be. Down doesn't exist. Think about up, he said. Together, they floated up through the polystyrene tiles, past the tubes running oxygen and water and conditioned air to the rooms, and through the steel beams to the level above. Soon they were sitting on the floor of a ward. Cartoon characters cavorted around the walls, Instead of the palest mint green theme of the rooms below, there were primary colors, soft toys, and a carpet that looked like a jigsaw puzzle. A children's ward. In the nearest bed, a tiny girl, maybe three years old, lay curled on her side. She was just on the edge of sleep, her eyes wandering into her dreams before they had completely closed. A grown-up, presumably her mother, sat in a chair beside the bed, tangled hair hanging in her face, dark circles under her eyes. A sipper was standing over the bed, pushing its straw into the chest of the tiny girl. As it entered, the little girl jerked awake, gasping, and began to cry, murmuring, Mommy, I fell! The mother jumped up, crawling onto the bed to soothe the little girl. Jimmy stood and ran at the sipper, flailing inside it until it became unstable and began to hiss. This one wasn't just going to give up, though. It swung after Jimmy, trying to catch hold of him. Cal, held on the floor by the tether to her flesh and bone self, on a whim clapped her hands together. It spun to face her, shock and anger swirling indistinct on the front of its head. And then, snap! It was gone. That was a bad one. Jimmy settled again beside her. Wish I'd known about them. Used to happen to me all the time, that falling asleep, then tripping in a dream and jumping awake. Wish I'd known it was them stealing a bit of me. Same with the sneezes and shivers. Dirty thieves. You should clap at them. They don't like it. Cal stretched out on her back. She couldn't, she realized, feel the floor. Jimmy looked down at his hands and made an experimental attempt, but they made no sound. Anyway, does it matter? The bit they steal? The sippers? Jimmy shrugged. How much of yours was left when that one we chased off came to take it? 
Maybe enough to save you. Maybe I'd have had more to spare when I fell through. If they'd not stolen so much. Cal shuddered a bit at that thought. Then the shuddering became a shivering. And then a quaking. She opened her mouth to say Jimmy's name, but already she was sinking through the floor. It wasn't the tether to her body. It wasn't being moved. This was something else, something deeper and stronger. A pull so powerful she was dwarfed and defenseless in its grip. A force like gravity was heaving her towards its heart. Her mother was calling her name. Cal? Mom was yelling. Calliope Rose Edwards, you come back right here to me. Cal stood, juddering beside the bed now. Her mom was by the door. They were still working on her, the doctors and nurses, still pumping flesh and puffing air. The tiny consultant must have decided to bring her mother into the room. Mom's face was almost as gray as Cal's. Only her eyes had color, red-rimmed and flashing with fear and rage. She gripped her purse in both hands, fingers blanched white. Calliope! I mean it! Don't you dare leave me! Don't you dare! Cal, quaking, did not dare. Another voice said, Clear! And then there was a bang. The overpowering smell of metal and lightning. And then Cal was in the most pain she had ever felt in her life. Sinus! Cal heard the baby-faced doctor say, surprised. She tried to open her eyes. She got her eyelids half up and then someone pushed something through one of the IVs into her arm, which began to burn terribly. All right, let's slow the warming down. The consultant's voice sounded now like she was talking through a hose, nasal and echoing. Someone get Nero down here. I'm going to go call Picky. Then for Cal, everything went completely and mercifully black. Maybe she'd been awake before and not remembered, or maybe it was the first time. Cal was blind. She could hear the whooshing of a machine and realized it was pushing air in and out of her. Her chest was agony. Everything was. She felt like she'd been run over by a bus. Every nerve in her body shrieked or throbbed or ached. She suddenly noticed the tube in her throat. It felt horrible, like she was going to... Like she was going to... She retched, and then a warm hand gently cupped her face, and the tube was pulled away. Her eyes flew open, and she realized she wasn't blind. They'd just been closed. At first, it was so bright, she couldn't see anything. But after a bit, she saw her mom and smiled at her. Hi, honey. Mom's eyes shone with tears. Cal tried to answer, but no noise came out of her throat. 
It's the tube, a kind voice said. It sort of stretches your vocal cords, but they heal fast. Your voice will come back soon. Cal swiveled her eyes towards the voice. It was the tiny lady doctor. But Cal couldn't wait for soon. She had to tell them now, right away. She cast about, looking into her mother's eyes and fluttering a hand. After a moment or two, they brought a little whiteboard and put a pen in her hand. Carefully, she wrote, Girl in Pond. Oh, Cal, you do remember then. Mom was upset. We hoped you might not. Yes, you fell through the ice into the pond. But you're safe now. You're going to be... Cal was trying again. Her mom paused, watched as she wrote, Body of girl in pond, under ice. I saw. 911. 911. The following day, after she insisted she was well enough, an officer came to see Cal, came to ask her about the body. He was a gruff man, older, with gray hair and a round belly pushing out the front of his uniform. Cal didn't mention meeting them, Sally and Jimmy. Already, reality had reasserted itself firmly enough that they felt like a dream, something her brain had concocted to entertain itself. But she had to do this, just in case. In the hoarse whisper that she had recovered, she described seeing a small body in among the rushes, and the officer assured her they would go and check as soon as they could. She expected him to leave then, but he didn't. You won't remember, he said. But I was there the day you fell in. Well, I was there when they pulled you out. And you couldn't know, but the year I was born, another kid fell in there. Young James Williamson. He was 11 like you. My daddy, he was law enforcement too. He pulled him out. But James didn't make it. His eyes looked watery then. Never got over it, he didn't, my daddy, he went on. So seeing you, seeing you made it, it's a real good day, you know, he beamed at her. She smiled back and he took her hand and gave it a squeeze. There was a slight flicker behind him then, the hint of a shadow that Cal's eyes tried to see but couldn't, and he shivered. Ooh! He breathed, then grinned. Something's walking on my grave. was written by Beck Stranger and narrated by Kay Weaver. Our Patreon is officially live, so for more stories that haunt and a behind-the-scenes look at what we do and why we do it, please join our Patreon at patreon slash pleaseleavepod. Please follow Please Leave on Facebook and Instagram at pleaseleavepod. Our email is pleaseleavepod at gmail.com and our website is 
pleaseleavepod.com.